You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Good morning, everybody. There's so much stuff I want to say. I don't know if I'll remember it all. Um, this Saturday night is uh, our candlelight services. If you've never been to one before, it's probably the most, well, it is, the most traditional services we have during the year. We actually give you a bulletin, an order of service when you walk in the door. So we'll have four of them, and generally they last about 50, 55 minutes. And uh, we just want to come, we want to worship the Lord and give Him the place and the honor that's due to Him. Uh, The kids love it. Uh, We've never started a fire yet uh, with all those candles going. My son's church, they did. One little uh, four-year-old kid took his candle, and he just went like this to the old lady in front of him with hairspray and just went like that, like this. So that's why we have fire extinguishers in here. Uh, No, we really do during the service. (laughs) But it's a lot of fun. But but the gospel is going to be preached. And if you, if you bring somebody uh, here, uh, they're going to hear uh, the reason that Jesus came, the true reason that he came. So uh, we have four of them this year because we're not having a service on Sunday. So this is our last service on a Sunday this year uh, here at Westside right now. Looking forward to that. Uh, then also on January 1st, that's two weeks from today, there's only one service. That's at 11 o'clock, this service here. There'll only be one uh, service, but we're starting a uh, challenge for 2017 to read through the whole Bible, the New Living uh, Translation, NLT version, the Chronological Bible. So uh, we just sold out the first service back at the Welcome Center. We'll have some more on Christmas Eve, and we'll have some more on New Year's Day. Uh, But uh, you could either get it at Amazon yourself, get the uh, NLT Chronological Bible. What's so cool about this is it goes through the whole Bible, Chronologically, that's why they call it the Chronological Bible. So, uh, the Bible's divided into history, then poetry, then the prophets in the Old Testament, and then in the New Testament's the Gospels, then Acts, which is the history of the early church, and then the letters by Paul and Peter and John, and so forth. And so, the Chronological Bible takes and inserts everything in order as they happened. So, David writes a psalm. And you go, and it's always in the Psalms, but you, they stick it right in there where Saul is pursuing him and he's running for his life. And then David writes a Psalm, oh Lord, you know, preserve me, protect me from my, you know. And you go, oh, that's right where it fits. That's when he wrote that. That's why he wrote that. Or, or that's why Paul wrote the, the letter to uh, the church in Philippi, right in this spot here in Acts, those kind of things. So um, I encourage you to do this. Uh, I do it on my Kindle. Terry and I read it on our Kindle. We've been doing it since this last October first, actually, with uh, Josh and Mike and Tyler and some of the others uh, around here. We've been doing it for several months already. So I, I want to challenge you. And sometimes people go, no, are you kidding? I can't read through the whole Bible like this. So um, I have a friend who's a pastor now. He was a successful businessman as a young man, but he was functionally illiterate. Uh, he could sign his name and, and do some contracts, do a little bit of numbers and stuff on his estimates, uh, but he couldn't read. So he got saved, tried to read the King James. It was a little bit too hard. That's because it's at a 12th grade reading level, King James. And uh, the average newspaper in America is written at the 6th grade uh, reading level. The average college textbook in America now is at the 10th grade reading level. 
And so uh, King James was kind of hard. So he got a, at that time, he got a living Bible, which is at a fifth grade uh, reading level. And that's a paraphrase. It's not really a translation. This NLT is actually a translation. And so he read through this. I mean, he powered through it. And by the time he was done with it, God healed him of his uh, learning disabilities. And he is like, you know, on, you know full-on functional reader now. And so... Uh, I want to encourage you to do that. About 25 years ago, we did at our old church, I was always in charge of the fun stuff, the special events. We did a Guinness World Book of Records marathon reading. And so we had the newspapers out, and you know we're on the front page of the newspaper in San Gabriel Valley Tribune. And, and uh, we, had a, we set up a, an area like a boxing ring almost with ropes around it, four lounge chairs. Maybe we should do it here sometime. Uh, and so we had four people. We had one teenager and then three adults. Uh, and they, what they'd read, they'd open up the Bible and read for half an hour. Started in Genesis, King James. Read for half an hour, hand it to the next one, log in the book. We had monitors, two judges there the entire time. And uh, they went all the way around. And they had to stay in this ring. They got every four hours, they got a 10 minute break. And uh, the, where they could, you know, whatever. And so uh, they read through the entire. King James Version of the Bible in 58 hours. You know what that tells me? A lot of you guys work 58 hours a week. And so uh, it could be done. So we figured it out that you could actually read through the whole Bible in a year 128 times. And if you want to sleep, you could read through the Bible about 80 times. And if you want to sleep and work, you could read through the Bible about 40 times. And uh, if you read an hour a day, you can read through the Bible about three or four times. And if you read 15 minutes a day, on average, you can read through the Bible once in a year. So I I challenge you to do it. Uh, The elders are going to do it. We we all said we'd do it. And so um, go on Amazon and order yourself an NLT Bible or get one at the Welcome Center on Christmas Eve or New Year's Day. Or go to uh, Amazon and get it on Kindle. Get it on Kindle, you just buy one for your whole family and so forth. So uh, I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun when somebody refers to, oh, I read in my time with the Lord this morning this, and you go, oh, I read it too. You know, I read it too. And it's, it's uh, good to do that, to be together in unity. You'll never go wrong ever getting into God's Word. I read a, a few, I, I sent some texts to a friend this week, who, who's been struggling a bit, and I, I said, actually, God, give me a word. You need to get into his word. Uh, read Psalm 119, if you're struggling. Yes. Psalm 119, over and over and over, it tells you the benefits of God's word. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against God. Your word sustains me. That chapter says, over and over, every, every little paragraph, it says two or three benefits of God's words. Your ways, your precepts, your word, your law. Uh, and it, there's another one that says... The sum, this is for mathematicians, the sum of your word is truth. That means the bottom line, at the end of the day, when all is said and done, when the sun sets, your word is true, O God. And if you're looking for truth, get into God's word. So that's the challenge for 2017. All right? Then another word this morning in the first service, just before the first service, the Lord I felt the Lord uh, encouraged me to tell all of you this. Some of you here are, are here today uh, because you've always been here. Um, 
17 years ago today, well, actually, it's tomorrow because it was the 19th of 1999, was my first preach at Westside. And some of you sitting here this morning were there. So I would like to ask you guys to stand up. 17 years. All right. Thanks you. Thank you for sticking with us. We had 25 people there that day. That was Christmas Day when everybody pitched. And so it was, uh, it was a great day. And thank you guys for sticking, putting up with me uh, all these years. We used to call this one over here Kylie Bug. She was about this little, this high. And um, the Vanderdusens were away for Christmas, so half the church was gone. And uh, they came back the next week. So otherwise they would have all stood up because they were all here the next week. So uh, they took up their whole row. They squeezed eight people in six chairs. No, one pew. Sorry. We had pews in those. Pew. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, what, what did, okay, some people have been here forever. Some people came right after that. Uh, some of you just came in those, those first few months. Some of you have been here for several years. Some of you, this is your first day here, and somebody dragged you here. You have no idea why you're here. Uh, you just woke up and ended up here. And I just want to say this to all of you. You're not here this morning by accident. You're not here just by chance. But God ordained this moment before the earth was created for you to encounter him. Some of you this morning here, in the next few minutes, maybe already, in the next few minutes, you'll make life-changing decisions. It's going to change your life. You're going to look back 20, 30, 40 years from now and say, that was the day my life got back on track. Most of you today, it will be another nail in your building of maturity. You know, another truth, another line upon line, precept upon precept. We're slowly growing, maturing. But every once in a while, we have one of those days where our life has changed. doesn't matter whether it's the decision you make to follow Jesus, maybe the decision uh, you make to confess your sins and come clean and, and start living as you know God wants you to. Maybe it's a decision to reconcile with somebody, maybe... Uh, It's a decision to lift your head out of yourself and start looking to Jesus and uh, pursue him, whatever it is. I I just want to say this morning is not an accident. And that's true. I know every week it's true, but just God wanted to highlight that for you this morning. Today, God has you here on purpose. God has you here on purpose. All right. So we're in the book of Romans and uh, I don't know, this is week 58 or something. Um, We'll be finished with this uh, around Easter. Easter is going to be in April this year over at the fairgrounds again. So don't forget that Romans is about the gospel, and the gospel is the good news of Jesus. Uh, Romans is about Jesus. So let's read in chapter 5 here, starting in verse 6. When we were utterly helpless, all of us have been or will be in that spot at some point or another. Christ came at just the right time. See, the Christmas message right here in our series on Romans. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. That's the reason Jesus came, was to die. Not to be a little baby in a manger. That's how he got here. But that wasn't the reason he came. He came to die. Don't forget to teach that to your kids. 
Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, that's the gospel. Don't forget, Romans is about the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus. Since we've been made right in God's sight, when we say yes to Jesus, he declares us to be righteous. We've got to get that into our spirit. We've got to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Um, get up in the morning and say, listen, you in the mirror there, wipe away the fog, you in the mirror there, you were in desperate need of a Savior. You were utterly helpless. And like Paul, falling to the ground before the glory of God and turning his life over to Jesus, like Paul, he realized that his whole life was a sham. His whole life was a pretense because he had been playing a game and now it's time to come clean and to give his life to Christ. And from that point on, Paul served Jesus till they cut his head off some 30, 40 years later. And, and we, at the same time, we need to understand that Jesus came for us while we were still sinners. That's the good news. He'll certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. I love that. In verse 5, or back in verse 1 and 2, it said that uh, we have peace with God, now we are friends with God. All these wonderful benefits of knowing Jesus. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about keeping our joy in a stressful season. And number one, we said that we should keep our priorities in order. That helps us keep some sanity. We do that by putting God and His agenda first, choosing our battles wisely and using our time wisely. If you missed that, Go back a couple weeks ago and get that. Then number two, we said do whatever we can to bring our family closer together. Number three was do whatever we can to restore broken relationships. And don't forget to give our best gifts to God. Then last week, my friend Kevin was here. I was watching from right over here uh, the whole service. Uh, Kevin talked about not letting uh, opportunities miss us, not not. Uh, having a season of missed opportunities. There's always opportunity to represent Jesus wherever we are, especially in our culture in this season. Yes, it's busy, but we as believers know that this is, time is ripe where we can represent him in our sphere of influence. So here's what I would like to say about Kevin's preach last week about missed opportunities. Here's what we all need to say, not on my watch. It's not going to happen with me. I'm not going to let an opportunity go by to represent God's love to somebody who's hurting. I'm not going to let an opportunity go by to misrepresent God's generosity by overlooking somebody that I could have helped. It wouldn't have cost me hardly anything. It would have helped them a lot. And so today uh, we're going to be talking uh, about uh, this wonderful joy that we can have in this season and the fact that Jesus came at just the right time. So, number one, God's timing is perfect. Verse 6 says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. So, at just the right time was not only referring to the Jews that he spoke this to, uh, Jerusalem, uh, or Israel, all of Israel was occupied by Rome. 
Rome was the most br brutal uh, regime, uh, totalitarian uh, uh, form of government that the world had ever known. And they were occupied. Their, their nation was occupied. And they were looking for their Messiah. And, and the Bible says here that Jesus came at just the right time. Just the right time. God's perfect timing. Sometimes people say that God is an 1159 God. Have you ever heard that before? Sometimes he's an 115959 God. You know, one second uh, left to spare. How many, how many for you, God has ever come through at the last moment when you were waiting, 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 waiting? See, see just ask one of those people about God's timing. It's perfect. Galatians 4.4, 4, Paul says, When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. So <clears throat> even though Israel was occupied, and sometimes we could be occupied, in our powerlessness, God comes through and shows himself strong uh, on our, be our behalf. So here's a question. Not only does this apply to Israel at that time, but it applies to us. Where or are you in a helpless situation? Are you occupied by discouragement? Are you occupied by distress or maybe indebtedness? Maybe you're occupied by anger and hostility. Maybe you're occupied by loneliness. I want to say this. Jesus comes at just the right time. We've got to be looking for him. A lot of those first century uh, Jewish people missed their opportunity. Jesus was right there. They were looking for something else. Their view of God's answer instead of God's answer uh, to his answer, so to speak. So the plan of salvation that God designed for us was designed to happen at just the right time. Ecclesiastes 3.11, Solomon says that God made everything beautiful for its own time. Um, I love that. In the Greek, that word beautiful, that means appropriate. Uh, it means that which is at its loveliest and best. For example, a peach on a tree. There's an appropriate time to pick that peach, all right? And so there's, that's what God's saying. It, he makes everything beautiful in, in its time. And then Solomon goes on to say that God has put eternity in your heart. We're all asking the question, isn't there more to life than this? Isn't, isn't, is this all there is? A lot of people, a lot of your friends are asking that question. Is this all there is? God, really? This is it? And that question particularly becomes poignant for adults after they've gone to school, after they've received all their awards growing up as kids, after they have gotten married and, and had a few kids, and, and then it starts to wind down, and they get to this age, whatever this age is. Our, our, our culture calls it a midlife crisis, but it could happen anywhere in a period of decades. It could happen just be a life crisis but we come to this point where guys, I know how guys think, guys go, at some point they go, I'm not going to be president. I can't be an astronaut. I can't do, the, they told me I could do anything, I can't do everything, and I'm not going to do everything. And you kind of, this, our, our sense of our mortality sinks in. And our sense of our, 
limited time and space here on planet Earth kind of sets itself in. We start to question. We, we throw our arms up in, in, in despair. We say, God, is this all there is? And he says to you, yes, there is more than this. And the reason that you're not satisfied with this, just the status quo is because I put eternity in your hearts. You know that there's something more out there. You know that there's something bigger than yourself. You know that there's something bigger than your dreams. You know that there's something bigger than anything you can imagine. And I want you to be part of it. I'm inviting you to be part of it. You've got to look up. You've got to look to me. Because the help is from me, not from within you. That's what God says. So here's a question for us. Can we trust God's timing? We trust God's timing. Sometimes waiting is good for us. And for heaven's sake, sometimes no is good for us. Aren't you glad God said no on something you were crying for 10 years ago? You go, oh, Lord, if that had happened, if you had said yes to that, I would be in a world of hurt today. God, you know more. I trust you. I trust your timing. Uh, Number two here, we see that God didn't just say he loves us. He showed he loved us. Put his money where his mouth was. Verse 8 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He demonstrated in a detectable way that he loves us. He didn't just say it. He showed us that. I love that uh, word detectable. Uh, uh, Demonstrating in a detectable way. I used to be a, a school principal and my junior high teachers, God bless junior high teachers. God bless Kenny and Matt and Hillary, the guys that work out there with our junior hires right now. How many have ever worked with junior hires in here? God bless you. Thank you so much for keeping the world stable and secure and safe. All right. Um, it's, it's just sad, but it's just it. It's part of, it's part of our human maturity and growth. Uh, that somewhere around the 6th, 7th, 8th grade years, those are, and don't disparage your kids for being this, because that's how God made them. That's where they're at right now. They're in the city of narcissism. They live there. The world revolves around them and how it affects them. Uh, what they wear, their friends, or you know, just everything they revolve. Now, sadly, some people never grow out of that. But you see in high school, especially as they get toward the, the later uh, years of high school, you see kids start to turn outward from themselves and realize that there's a whole world out there. And they can help. So you see a lot of uh, juniors and seniors and, and such starting, and sometimes earlier if they're a little more mature, and uh, they start to look out and start to help and do community things or you know, want to help or go on mission trips or whatever, just serving somehow. And then college age, it kind of comes blown, and they want to change the world, all right? And so we find somewhere in there where we can fit. But I I said all that to say, I told my junior high teachers, listen, if you want to reach those kids, because we were a Christian school, if you want to reach those kids, if you want to touch their hearts, show them that you love them. Love them in a detectable way, and they'll die for you. They'll do anything for you. Don't you remember that great junior high teacher that you had that made a difference in your life? It's a detectable way. Not just saying they do, but in a detectable way. Husbands, love your wives in a detectable way. You're commanded to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Do it in a detectable way. It doesn't help if it's just up here in your head. 
Show them. If you have wonderful feelings about them, call them during the day. Text them. Message them. Email them. FaceTime them. Go see them. Send them flowers. Any, anything so that they know what you're feeling in a detectable way. And also, husbands, become a student of your wife. And become a student of what your wife views as love. Go read that book, you know, The 27 Ways to Love People. No, wait a minute. What is it? How many is it? Five love languages, all right? <laughs> Fine. You don't have to read the book. Just go to Wikipedia and read the summary. Get it in two minutes, all right? And uh, I wish that I had discovered Cliff Notes when I was in high school. So I was in too much trouble. I was in too much trouble to even know that they had Cliff Notes. So um, detectable way. So become a student of your wife. Some of you want to do things around the house, and that doesn't show them. What they want is quality time, or some people want you know, gifts, or some people want to uh, touch, and, uh, and you know, just different things. I asked Terry, what's yours? And she goes, all of them. <laughs> so, especially gifts. So uh, become a student of your wife. Moms, show your kids you love them in a detectable way. Go back in that little recorder in your brain and View all the things or listen, re-listen to all the things you said to them in the last 24 hours. Is anything in there detectable of your love for them? Uh, those are just some encouragements that we have. Can we offer the same? Can we do the same and demonstrate God's love toward others in a detectable way? Number three, God made the first move toward friendship. He made the first move. I love this one. We didn't know him from anything. And while we were still wallowing in our sin, he reached out of eternity and died for us before we knew who he was. That's amazing to me. I think it's verse 10. It might say verse 8 in your notes. But for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. You know, it's not easy to make the first move. Especially when somebody has offended you or hurt you intentionally or unintentionally. It's not easy to make the first move. You go, no way. I'm happy with this distance right now. But if you're a believer, it's not God's way because he made the first move. What can get in our way of, what can get in our way of making the first move toward reconciliation with somebody? That's number one. It just doesn't fit my persona. I'm not really that kind of a person. How about immaturity? The world revolves around me. Like I said, junior high, narcissism, okay, that's, that's their, their growth. But God expects us to grow out of that to where the world doesn't revolve around us. And actually the world revolves because we care about others. How about uh, laziness getting in our way? What? Actually go out and help someone? Are you kidding me? How about uh, apathy? Uh, you know, when the truth be told, I don't really care about people. You ever said that to yourself? <laughs> I don't really care. That ought not to be in the heart of a believer. Aren't you glad that wasn't God's attitude toward us? <laughs> Jesus going, I'm going to go to earth and get crucified? Are you kidding me? I don't know if I care enough about those people. No, he said, yes, I will go. How about a heart 
This is a tough one. A heart that's far from God. You know, God wants our hearts. David was a man after God's own heart. God's interested in our heart. Our our heart is the, the sum total of who we are. Our heart is also a directional finder, indicator. Is our heart toward God or is it toward the world or is it toward ourself? God wants a heart that's after Him. A heart that's far from God could be a dark heart. A dark heart is a heart that's harboring sin. Now, we all fall from time to time. It's like we fall in, in a ditch. We didn't really expect it there. A heart that's harboring sin is a heart that intends to sin tomorrow. Right. They're planning on sinning tomorrow and the next day. They're gearing up for it. It's amazing. Um, a heart that's far from God could be a, a prodigal heart. Prodigal son just walked away from the father, doing his own thing. Could be a prodigal heart. Uh, if you lived in Australia, it would be a heart that's on a walkabout. I'm just going to go out there. Walkabout could last 10 years. I'm just going to go find myself, and then I'll come back to you, God. And you're just out there doing your own thing. A heart that's far from God could be a broken heart. I've just stuck my hand out there too many times and gotten cut off. I just can't do it again. I, I'm too wounded. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to take a chance on being hurt again. So we want to have a heart that's toward God. I came across this illustration. Um, there's a newspaper columnist, and, a, and he's also a pastor, George Crane, tells of a wife who came into his office full of hatred toward her husband. I don't only want to get rid of him, I want to get even, she said. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he hurt me. So Dr. Crane suggested to her an ingenious plan. He had a a plan, but she didn't realize it. He said to her, go home and act as if you really do love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you and praise him for every one of his decent traits. Go out of your way to be kind and considerate and generous as much as you possibly can. Spare no efforts to please him, to enjoy him. That's PG if you're a kid or if you're an adult. Make him believe you love him. After you've convinced him of your undying love and that you can't live without him, drop the bomb and say, I want a divorce. That will really hurt him. So with revenge in her eyes, (laughs) she smiled and exclaimed, beautiful. Will he ever be surprised? And she did it with enthusiasm, acting as if for two months she showed love and kindness and listening and giving and reinforcing and sharing. But when she didn't return... Dr. Crane called her and said, are you ready to go through the divorce now? She goes, divorce? Never. I discovered I really do love him. Her actions changed her feelings. Motion resulted in emotion. I love that. And so he says, our ability to love is established not so much by words as by often 
repeated deeds. A lot of times, Terry and I, when we're um, talking to people about a tough situation, particularly in marriage situations, we say, act in the opposite spirit. Act in the opposite spirit. Your, your humanity is rising up in you here. Act the other way. So I tweeted this on Thursday. Don't waste your time asking whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. Hashtag make the first move. Hashtag love your neighbor. Hashtag represent Jesus. Hashtag authentic love. Hashtag humble yourself. Hashtag Romans 5.8. That was too many, so I had to cut some of those out. For 135 characters. So here's our question for this one. Can we swallow our pride? Suck it up and make the first move toward reconciliation or friendship. Can we do that? Can we make the first move? Can we be the ones to make the first move? Because we don't want to forget this. Finally, Paul says here, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Friends of God. Almighty God, he wants to be your friend. That is is amazing to me. Why on earth can't believers be full of joy when we know that our sin has been forgiven? We know that the shackles have been loosed, that the blinders have been removed, that we've been set free We're walking in freedom. That we get to be with Jesus for all of eternity. It's amazing to me how anybody who could understand what he's done for us not be joy-filled, even in the midst of a storm. I went to to see that new uh, Star Wars movie with some friends on Friday. And it's entertaining. But Hollywood spends $150 million to entertain you for a couple hours. Sorry, we can't compete with that. We can't spend $150 million to have a nice service for you. So we're not going to try. But here's what we can do that Hollywood cannot do. We can give you family. Kingdom of God can bring hope. Real hope. Jesus can set you free. He can bring joy when there once was sorrow. He can reconcile the worst of enemies. He can make possible what you thought was impossible. Is that good? That's what Jesus can do. That's why Jesus came. He came at just the right time. I want to encourage you as believers, let your light shine so brightly that people can see what you're doing, see your good deeds, and thereby give glory to God, your Father who's in heaven. Amen? Amen. Father, thanks for this word. God, we thank you for the challenge that we have to represent you in our sphere of influence. Father, we thank you that you've called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. Help us to reflect you, the light of the world, to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Uh, family, we're going to, it's our culture that we stand and we take communion together as a family at, at the end of the service. And, and Jesus said, do this as often as you will as in remembrance of me. When he took the bread, he broke it. And he said, this represents my body, which I'm giving up for you. And so he went to that cross and he bore all our wretchedness at one time. All of it for the whole world, for every single person, all at one time. And he said, do this as often as you will and remember why you're doing it. And so that's why, I said, that's why we take it every week. We come up 